Scottish Rugby Podcast with Stuart McFarlane and Dale Clancy. That's extraordinary. Welcome to this week's edition of the Tackling Scottish Rugby Podcast. I'm Stuart McFarlane. And I'm Dale Clancy. And we're going to look ahead this week to the 2021 Six Nations Championship in the company of former Scotland captain Rory Lawson. The Tackling Scottish Rugby Podcast. Well, Dale, here we are once again, just a, a few days before the start of another Six Nations campaign. Scotland get underway on the, the 6th of February with a, a trip down to London to Twickenham to take on England. And I think within the, the, the rugby world, there's certainly a real appetite for the Six Nations Championship to offer up some really entertaining rugby at a time where we're enjoying club rugby but uh, there, there st- still seems to be something missing, not just the, the lack of supporters in the stadium. There's, there clearly is that X factor is not around at the moment. And we hope that the Six Nations can perhaps bring us just a, a little flavour of that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that there's been some rugby, but perhaps the, the high quality stuff in terms of international rugby has been certainly been lacking because there's there's been nothing really above domestic. The European Champions Cup's been canned for a little while and there's really been nothing else to bridge that gap. So the, the kind of, the, the, the usual high-end quality rugby games have been kind of few and far between unless you're really watching the, the, the Premiership down south. So it's certainly welcomed and, and hopefully, even though there's going, to be no, there's, there's going to be no fans in the stadium, I think that you can see the fantasy leagues coming back in the group chats and things like that. Everybody is starting to, to gear towards the Six Nations and and really look forward to what is you know it's like it's a great tournament it's a really really competitive tournament and again we're sitting here the week before it starts and nobody really knows who who's going to win again so it's an entertaining tournament and certainly for Scotland a great way to start against England down at Twickenham and we we'll look at the, the Scotland squad we we'll look at some new faces and new names in the Scotland squad and I suppose the first thing we we look at and hope for is a positive start and a good performance at a venue where Scotland have have struggled for so many years now. It's been well documented uh, how long it's been since they last picked up a a victory at Twickenham. But it's a very different circumstances surrounding what is, uh, of course, the anniversary of the first match between the two sides 150 years ago. I think the last few years has been a little bit of a, an eye-opener for Scotland in terms of the fact that they're not too far away from competing with England regularly. Um, if you think back to that great game a few years ago when it was the 38-all the draw down at Twickenham, a lot of the cohort that were in that game, are they're still in this squad. The likes of Finn Russell, Stuart Hogg, Ali Price, these players were all there. I don't think we go in thinking, oh, I hope it stays under 40 like we used to. We're a competitive team now and I think that to go in with any other hope other than to be competitive and hopefully get a win we're doing ourselves a little bit of a disservice I know that's probably looking at it through kind of rose tinted glasses but I certainly think that there's, there's no fans in the stadium France turned them over in the first game last year they've had a few players withdraw is there maybe a little bit of um, you know disharmony in the England camp you don't know how it is with terms of players withdrawn for personal reasons and some players at Saracens they've got a, a more complicated setup than what we have and I think that the players that we've got there mostly fully fit I would say apart from obviously our hookers which are, are, are a glaring miss I think we've got a squad that can certainly compete down in Twickenham I've got no doubts about that I think that if we manage to keep the game quite tight and, and manage to stifle their back row 
I reckon we could get our Six Nations off to a good start, but it's going to take a big, big effort. It's not as easy as just going to think we're going to win. I think that all 15 players, well, 22 players, certainly need to have a, a, an outstanding game down there at Twickenham. Well, one man who will certainly have an eye on not just the, the Scotland players, but uh, players from all other competing nations is himself a former Scotland internationalist. He collected 31 caps in a glittering international career. He also captained Scotland around 10 years ago it would be now, but who's counting? Our guest this week to look ahead to the Six Nations Championship of 2021 is Rory Lawson. Tackling Scottish Rugby. Well, Rory, first of all, thank you very much for joining us on the, the Tackling Scottish Rugby podcast and our special edition looking ahead to the, the 2021 Six Nations Championship. And with all the, the turmoil around the world at the moment, I suppose the first thing to say is we're perhaps in a very fortunate position that a sport that we're all very passionate about and a championship that has been such a firm fixture for so long is able to at least get to the starting point because there's so much uncertainty around professional sport just now that it's, it's nice that we can look ahead with some optimism to a, a tournament that potentially is going to offer up quite a lot. Yeah, definitely. It's a funny one, isn't it? I think with regards to the usual Six Nations fever, the usual excitement that builds in the week leading up to the Six Nations kicking off, it's probably not where it has been historically, mainly because... You know, we're all we're all stuck at home. We're all working from home. We're all doing what we can to to do our bit within the pandemic. But at the same time, it's great to know that the players are in their various bubbles and they're doing the right things and they're able to to build and prepare for for the kickoff to the Six Nations. I think come Saturday, everyone will be really keen to dive onto the sofa and and watch an afternoon of action. I'll be looking for an uplift from where we were in the Autumn Nations Cup, but certainly to get to the the start of the tournament and now knowing certainly every precaution is taken within these international bubbles. It is different to a club environment whereby players would be coming and going from home. They are now in their bubbles and everything will be done to ensure that this tournament starts and finishes hopefully in one go. But, you know, there's a bit of water to flow under the bridge before then. Absolutely. And I suppose you you have to spare a thought for the under-20s players and the the women's international squads because they both find themselves as international teams and groups of players in a very uncertain position just now in terms of the the future direction for them. So I suppose it's important to uh, identify that the elite men's sport is is going ahead as we we, we had hoped it would. But there are players that will be chapping at the bit and will be watching on with envy that uh, they are unable to take part themselves. Oh, massively. I I think it's, you know, sport below... Uh, only like a few leagues has taken such a a dunt, and um, you know the the women's Six Nations and the and the under twenties is in amongst that, and it is it's, it's really sad when I when I think back the trauma that the women's team went through last Six Nations, you know whether it was opposition teams contracting COVID, some of the weather conditions that they faced, matches being postponed and cancelled, and so on, it's you know, it's, it's heartbreaking for them because they will be desperate to get back to to action. And for, you know, while the the Women's Premier 15s down in England is back in action after a, a couple of weeks 
away from it. And a number of the Scottish women do play down there. There will be women at the, the top end of the sport who are starved of competition at the moment. And I think that is it's a massive challenge that, you know, whether it's the woman, the under 20s, or, you know, the kids or adults at grassroots amateur level, it's, it's impacted the sport hugely. So we, we need some good news. We need some good stuff. We need some excitement to be generated within the game. And that's only going to happen through on-field until we wait to, you know, for, for everybody to get back to action, whenever that may be. When you look at Gregor's squad then, what what would you say sort of strikes you as, as the, the balance and the approach to how he's going to go about this, this particular championship? Because he's brought in one or two players that have sort of made some headlines as, as really exciting additions and inclusions in the squad. While there's still potentially two or three positions that you look at and you think, well, are we possibly vulnerable at hooker? Are we still uncertain as who's our best number eight? And what is the 12-13 the combination going to look like? Well, you've asked all the questions there, Stuart. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I've got all the answers just yet. <laughs> but um, you know what? I think when when I when I look at the squad, I'm I'm excited by it. I really am. Um, whilst Edinburgh and Glasgow have had poor seasons by their standards, they were massively impacted during the autumn. You know, losing players for the duration of that eight-week competition, rather than just you know some of the fringe players that would be involved in camp up to the Wednesday and then get released back to play they make such a huge impact back at the pro teams but given the covid protocol in place they stayed in camp with everybody so look Edinburgh and Glasgow have struggled this season but if you look at the squad it's a squad in good health um you know Gregor Townsend's got some depth in positions to to select from Disappointed to obviously see Fraser Brown and Stuart McAnally both injured. Um, Rambo will hopefully be back in the mix before too long, albeit I'm not sure you know what the prognosis on his injury is. But at the same time, you know, I, I think George Turner can come in and what an opportunity for him as an athlete. He is phenomenal. He is a powerhouse. He's quick. He steps off both feet. He carries hard. He hits hard. He will need to focus hard on his to get his arrows right and make sure that you know every single moment of every single line-out practice is is made the most of. Because even though he's been in the squad for a long time, being the main man in there um, is is a different story. But I think he's he's definitely got the minerals to step up. I think. Elsewhere in the pack, there's a there's a lot to get excited about. Uh, hopefully, Jamie Ritchie will be back fit for for this weekend. The number eight jersey is one that I couldn't pick right now, if I'm honest. I think obviously between Blade Thompson, Matt Fagerson, and Gary Graham, there's there are a few options there. Depending on how Gregor is looking to to attack and play against England, um, and then behind the scrum, you touched on it, the twelve thirteen. Axis is outside Finn is so important, um, and I'm not sure it'll be it will say a lot. We'll, we'll learn a lot as to who Gregor picks. Um, will he throw Cam Redpath into the mix at 12 as a as a second distributor, or will he go for you know a James Lang or Duncan Taylor? Chris Harris, I would say, would be favourite for that 13 jersey. A rock in defence, still finding his way in the the attacking shape. And he'll probably get a nod, the nod ahead of Hugh Jones, who we all know has hit 
some good form for for the Warriors recently, albeit you know more often at fullback. And we just want to see the the back three get the ball in their hands in a bit of space. So, like I think overall, when I look at the the squad, I I look at it with excitement. I look at it with hope. When you play England at Twickenham, you look at it with a bit of realism as well. But, you know, I think there's plenty for Gregor to be working with. And the key is that they get out the blocks. They've got to start well, start the championship well and start the, the opening quarter well to get themselves into into the game and then build from there. We've obviously got a lot of depth now at 10. But 12 months ago, we were a bit apprehensive that Hastings was going to be our out and out 10. You know, now we've got Finn Russell back. Obviously, Hastings is injured. Do you think as a nation, now you've probably been in better positions to vouch for this than, than most others, but as a nation, do you think that now we've kind of, we're focusing on the hooker depth? Because obviously we've lost McAnally and Brown and you look at that hooker now going, are we a bit weak there? Do you think as a whole, Scotland put them, themselves under a little bit too much pressure with thinking, or oh, we've got a little bit of lack of depth. However, we've got loads of players round about them. Like how do you, as a player, how do they look at that? Have they got confidence in the players coming in going, yes, we're fine with Turner and Likes? In, in at the hooker position. You know what, I mean, when, when you've only got two pro teams, it's difficult to have a depth of much more than, you know, three, four of, of one position, particularly in, you know, somewhere like hooker, whereby Edinburgh and Glasgow, by definition, can only have four hookers across the 46 players picked at the weekend. So, and when when Fraser Brown and Stuart McAnally are typically filling two of those berths, um, it's difficult to, you know, have true depth. I think Turner will be, I'd be very surprised if it wasn't him that was named to start. Who does the next opportunity go to um, behind that? We'll, we'll wait and see. But I think, I think it's one whereby, uh, you know, Mike, Mike Willemse at Edinburgh was potentially somebody who was uh, potentially, dare I, dare I say, a project signing, somebody who Scotland looked to, fill a potential gap there but um, I would say if the, there wouldn't be that many countries who could have two of their frontline guys pick up injuries who have you know who are nearing on 100 caps between the two of them and then have somebody experienced to be able to jump in so I expect George Turner to step up I, I really like him as a player he could do with sharpening his arrows a little bit but you know ho- hopefully he'll get into that that system, the likelihood is is that he'll have worked with the guys who are going to be calling the lineouts. Um, you know whether it's one of the the Gray brothers, but you know, I, I th- or Scott Cummings. Scott Cummings is probably the most likely of the three. So we'll see. But it's not something that I'm too worried about. You look at the the fixture list, Rory, and Scotland start off obviously going to to Twickenham. They've uh, they. The match with England first up. If if you were to sort of write out the the fixtures, the order of preference, w- would you have England at Twickenham in front of no supporters, close to one of the the first matches? I've been thinking about this myself. And where do you position that trip to Twickenham, given the number of years and it's been well documented since Scotland last picked up a, a win there? Is is now perhaps the best time to take on England in their own backyard? Look at that with two sets of glasses, I suppose. One, that Scotland themselves haven't been great at starting the championship. But I'm with you. I I think that the opportunity to go down to Twickenham in the first game, particularly because when you take into account England are missing three of their frontline four props, 
Marler stepping away to be with his family, Sinclair suspended, Vunapola injured. You know, that's a big, big loss. Even if it's not in the starting 15, impact off the bench, big losses there. Albeit, you know, England are best placed to, to fill those gaps better than any other, uh, any other country. But you also consider Underhill's injured. You consider that Jamie George, Maru Atoji, Billy Vunapola, Elliot Daly, Owen Farrell have been short of game time. And whilst they, you know, England always, Eddie Jones always talks about training and intensity above match intensity, I get that. But if you're not playing the match the way that you do um, week in, week out for your clubs, albeit there's always a step up from Europe or, or the domestic leagues, you're still not, you're not going to be as sharp. Then you take out the 80,000 England fans, you know, out on a jolly singing swing low sweet chariot. And, you know, Scotland would revel with that and they'd, they'd rise to it. But at the same time, that's a different scenario altogether. Um, and I just, I just think it's a great opportunity. There's bound to be a bit of doubt without Tuolangi as well in that midfield. Who does he select? Does he go for Lawrence or does he go for the Faro-Slade axis? If it goes for the Faro-Slade axis, he won't have the same go forward as he does when he has a powerful midfielder in there. If he goes for Lawrence, he's going for an inexperienced guy that defensively, with Finn Russell's distribution, we could potentially expose. So... I think there's there, the narrative is so interesting. If you ask any of the Scotland boys, would they rather go down and win at Twickenham with 85,000 fans there or no fans there? They'd much rather 85,000. But if they'd rather go down there and pick up a win with no fans or, you know, a loss, there would only be one answer as well. So I think there'll be a huge amount of excitement, but also a real focus and awareness that if you don't match England physically, if you don't, front up at set piece if you don't defend them all and if you don't take your opportunities when they come at Twickenham then you're going to have to go an awful long way to win that game You do look at the, the championship overall and, and every nation doesn't necessarily have its troubles and worries to, to seek at the moment even you look at France and the uncertainty within the French government over whether or not they're happy for France to, to travel to the UK and to, to compete in, in the UK and will they then be happy to receive teams from the UK to Paris when, when those fixtures come around a little bit later in February? You perhaps look at the, the French squad and, and their performances of late and expect quite a lot from them, but every nation does have concerns and, and problems to try and work out coming into this championship. Yeah, I think so. I suppose if you look at it, there's not a human being in the world that doesn't have concerns of some sort. Um, so it's, I guess it's, it's how you frame it. Um, I don't know. I don't know what Fabian Galtier and his squad are thinking coming into this championship with with regards to the French government. Uh, the French government pro- probably don't know what they're thinking coming into this championship. But yeah, I think I think everybody will be excited about the opportunity to to play top end rugby. The lack of fans is undoubtedly an impact. I've felt it in the commentary box, uh, you know, the Autumn Nations Cup, the last game of the Six Nations, you know, whenever it was in October. It, it, it definitely isn't the same without the fans. But this is, you know, this is a big, big opportunity for these guys to get out and play a huge competition for the, those in the home nations a lion's year, albeit still in, in amongst all of the uncertainty of what that's going to look like. But 
I think if you frame it positively and you say that we'll hopefully be talking in you know, seven, eight weeks' time about what a brilliant championship it was, um, the fact that we got from start to finish, um, we've, we saw some new players um, that we didn't know all that much about. We've seen some people who maybe haven't been on form step up to the plate and play some of their best rugby. From a Scottish perspective, it's, you know, it's Finn back. It's, is it, you know, um, Cam Redpath? Is it George Turner? Is it Richie Gray back in the mix? Is it a handful of guys chucking their name in the hat for Warren Gatlin's Lions? I think I always look at opportunity. Um, and I think the... If, you know, if if you take too if if you spend too much time looking at the challenges that we face, then you just end up knocking yourself down and digging yourself a bit of a hole. You're right with the with the fixtures. Obviously, England first up, I think, is a great game. Um, you look what France did to them last year, and it certainly is an opportunity. And in terms of Hogg putting his hand up to obviously lead the country, what does he bring you as a leader? Because he's obviously different to the likes of Laidlaw and Ford, and you know the players in the past yourself who've led the country. What does he bring? What what challenges do you think he's going to face this year in the current situation? Well, what does he bring? Um, he he brings respect of every opponent he plays against. He he has the respect of the coaches and players within the squad, and he has the credibility. He's you know he's a two times line. He's seventy plus caps for Scotland. He's a world class operator. I mean. World-class is a term that's thrown around a lot. I think world, to be world-class or referred to as world-class, you need to be top three players in your position in the world. Hoggy's world-class. A number of people would have him number one in the world. And I think with that comes the credibility and experience and uh, having, having trodden the paths of international rugby at the, the very top end. I think for Hoggy, the challenge comes in... Being the individual that is world class, slotting into the team and then shifting his his mindset slightly as a leader and understanding when he needs to to step forward as a leader and have that really meaningful conversation with the referee to maybe question a decision in an area or plant a seed in his mind in in, in the referee's mind to say maybe maybe that that should have been a different outcome. You know, we saw it during the Lions with Sam Warburton. He rarely questions the referee, but he cashed in his chips when when the time was right to do so. And Roman Pat turned around his decision against the All Blacks. So the challenges for Hoggy also come from the fact that he's, you know, he's not all that close to the referee all the time. So having that that conversation, what that does mean, though, is that when he runs forward to have the conversation, it should be really meaningful. And I guess for him, it's just trying to control the energy that he has and the excitement that he has as a player. And you know, I've, I've spoken to Hoggy about it. He's mad keen to continue to develop and think slightly differently while not dulling down the, the abilities he has in, as an individual and as a fullback within the team. He's very aware of it. He is one of a few leaders within that squad, so he'll have to call upon other voices in that squad to play their part within the, the conversation, both in training in the week and on match day. So there's lots of things to be thinking about, but the key is that none of those things impact on who he is as a player. 
One question for you, Rory. In terms of Scotland's opposition then in the, the Six Nations Championship, who are the, the individuals? If you pick out one or two individuals from the opposing teams that you're particularly looking forward to, to watching against Scotland in terms of what questions they will perhaps ask of the, the Scotland players? Stuart, the danger of, of asking me that question is that I pick out people that I hope have bad games rather than those, uh, rather than those players that, are gonna, that could potentially uh, cause Scotland problems. If you start with England, people are talking about Maru Atoji as a potential Lions captain. Now, I don't buy that because I don't think you can step in having not captained a, a club team or an international team and captain the Lions. Particularly if it was to be in South Africa, I think you need to be you need to have experience in that role. But Maru Atoji is somebody who does almost everything right. And if if Scotland are to go well against England, they have to make sure that the commentators aren't saying his name too often. Um, and it's it's more often than not, it's around the line out and it's around the breakdown. He is a menace at the breakdown. His first and secondary effort is is huge and particularly now when you think about the interpretations of the game at the breakdown, it's there. The opportunity is there for those jacklers, for those scavengers to pick up penalties or to pick up turnovers because the referees, if you get your hands on, then it's yours if, if, if you can stay in the fight. So I think for, for Scotland to go well against England, they need to ensure that the likes of Curry and the likes of Atoji are names that aren't spoken about too regularly when England are defending. I think my old teammate Johnny May is someone who can light up a game and was one of the few proper moments of the Autumn Nations Cup whereby you got out of your out of your seat and mm-hmm. applauded. I think his his try from the turnover lineout in the Ireland game from inside his own 22 just showed how unbelievably good he can be as an individual. Let's go through the the other Scotland games. You, you come to the Wales game. I think it's good to see Ken Owens back as a, as a neutral. I think he'll be a, a big influence on Wayne Pivak's side. Also, Dan Lydiot's back in the mix there, potentially making up that back row alongside Fallatown and Tipperick and Navidi as well back in the mix. So, Again, I seem to be talking about that back row battle, which is inevitable. Also good to see George North back playing some good rugby again. Elsewhere, Scotland's next game beyond that, France. I mean, name your men. There's Teddy Thomas, if if he's on, on song, can just be ridiculous. People talk about Rolls-Royce of the game. I reckon if he gave me a 20-metre head start in a 100-metre dash, He'd, he'd pass me probably within 60 metres. He is ridiculous. He is so quick. But with my with my scrum half hat on, I love watching Antoine Dupont. He, you know, he's a small man, but he's a powerhouse. He's got a fend that most midfielders or back rowers would dream of having. He's got footwork of a of a back three. He's got a brilliant kicking game. He's got a good passing game. He's got pace of a back three flying machine. And any team who comes up against France have to keep him quiet. I also like, I love watching Charles Olivon, the captain, play. I just think he reminds me of Olivier Magne of the 90s. You know, a rangy runner, great footballer, always getting a second touch, physical, real pest. I can keep going all day. Ireland, I think some of the some of the Irish selections are really fascinating. I think when you look at the back row battle, you could pick 
three back, you know, two back rows out of just Leinster players. And then you chuck, you know, Peter O'Mahony and CJ Stander into the mix. I think I think for, for Ireland it's a case of probably their midfield Gary Ringrose back fit. Much like we look at that midfield and how we can break down defences. I think Ringrose is so important to Ireland and their flow and and getting the ball into into the back three's hands. Um so they're 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 big players. Interesting to see what they do at half back. Does they just continue with Murray and Sexton, who I believe are maybe a year beyond their best. They'll knowing them as competitive beasts, I think they'll they'll try and prove me uh, wrong on that front. And then Italy. Where where do we go with Italy? I, I think Paolo Garbisi showed enough for me in the Autumn Nations Cup to as a young fly half with a big future. Could he be the the new Diego Dominguez who can, you know, rejuvenate this side. I think without Paledri, Italy are one man short of the, you know, the wrecking balls that they need to be able to cause opposition defences trouble. But we all want to see a, an Italy win somewhere within the Six Nations so that we can maybe put the, the debate around whether they have a place in the competition or not, but just not against Scotland. <laughs> Don't say that'll be the wooden spoon decider on the 20th of March. No chance. Uh... <laughs> no chance. We've got three wins in us before that one. Oh, I know. I think so. Just moving the conversation away from the Six Nations, Rory, in terms of, of yourself, you talked about the, the, the commentaries and you're regularly behind the microphone covering international and, and club matches over the, the course of the, the last year. But how have you been? Because you've obviously experienced... COVID and, and the effects of, of COVID very directly and, and you've, you've spoken about it in terms of the, the aftermath of, of you uh, being diagnosed with, with the condition. How, how have the last 10 months panned out for yourself? Yeah, not, not too bad. I mean, um, to think back, I mean, it was mid-March when I had the symptoms and I was never diagnosed because testing wasn't in place or testing was only in place if you were an inpatient at a hospital. So I had every symptom. I had the I had the fever. I had the aches. I had the sweats. I had the high, really high temperature. I lost my taste and smell. I had cough, and that all spanned, you know, all in all, that probably spanned eight eight weeks, which you know it wasn't great. And but you know the worst of it probably was three weeks, lasted three weeks, and then it was the smell and taste, which, as someone who loves their grub, probably hit me hardest. But it took, I wasn't sure whether off the back of it, it's, it, I still, I'm not sure whether this is an excuse, but I, I, I don't know. I think I've suffered a bit from long COVID. Again, not di- self-diagnosed because it's taken me a good while to get fitness back, to get strength back, to feel like myself. And only probably in the since the turn of the year have I properly felt like um, I've got a bit of get up and go, um, that I have a bit of energy. And um you know anybody who talks about this as being a a bad flu or whatever, I, I tend to have a pretty strong argument against. I just hope you know people that have been affected by it. I totally sympathise with. I've ho- I've hopefully been able to help a few people who have come asking, and I'm, my door is always open when it comes to trying to talk to people about my experiences that might help them along the way. Because certainly my advice is don't try and do too much too soon because I think I definitely did that, but also try and keep moving when you feel like you can. Just don't push it too hard, because it's obviously a respiratory 
condition it definitely does hit the lungs it takes a while to to get back to yourself um but amongst anything just try and just try and avoid getting it for starters hmm. you, you're talking there about the last month obviously the, the turn of the year and, and january i think you've been a supporter of dory weir's trust for several years since it's it was of course founded and, and established and and you've been again promoting the cause over the last three or four weeks yeah, well, here we are on on Monday of the week leading up to Calcutta Cup, and Rob Wainwright rang me, I can't remember if it was the week after or the week before Christmas, and said, I've got I've got an idea, and I'd like you to be involved. And I said, I'm all ears, fire away. Uh, and, he, he, you know, we're all, we all look for a challenge in January. And he said, I want this year for Doddy Aid, we want to try and get as many people as possible supporting the fight against motor neuron disease by racking up as many miles and raising as many pounds as we can through the month of January and beyond January up to the, the Calcutta Cup game on the 6th of February. Um, so it was the old district model. So the North and Midlands, Glasgow, Edinburgh, the South and the Exiles. And a captain, female and male captain, was allocated to each team together with a team manager. And Rob said to me, Doddy says he wants you to be the male captain of the South team. And what Doddy says, you do. That's, that's, that's I think, a lot of people's mantras. If he asks, you say yes. Um, given that my nana and papa were from Hoik, my mum's from Hoik, it was a no-brainer. So um, I took it on and I've really enjoyed being part of the group doing it. The South, we had over 6,000 join our team Collectively across the the districts, we've raised almost a million quid. I think this last night we we're at nine hundred and seventy four thousand pounds raised, which is phenomenal. And I mean, we've had yesterday. There's there's been a Zwift cycle race every Sunday through the month of January, and yesterday we had Geraint Thomas and Chris Hoy, Sir Chris Hoy, leading the race as well as Mark Cavendish, sorry, leading the Zwift race for almost 2,000 people involved. On Saturday, there were thousands of people involved in the race around the world. So uh, across the board, we covered, at last count, I think it was 110,000 miles around the world as a group. I mean, it's just been phenomenal. Some people doing 240 miles in a day on Saturday. Um, and they've, you know, it's it's been it's been phenomenal. A real inspiration to be a part of. People all over the UK, all over the world, being a part of it. Video messages from Hollywood stars, from sports superstars, from politicians, from the works. It's just been brilliant, and it's certainly energised me, given me a purpose, given me a focus. Probably got me a little bit fitter, um, and it, you know, long may that continue for for everybody who's been a part of it. So. Um, yeah, I think it's it's been a, a great cause to be be a part of in a in a pretty dark and miserable January. No, no, absolutely, and uh, all credit to everybody involved. A phenomenal effort and uh, a very proud moment for yourself to captain the South, lead the South in this way. So all all credit to you. You know, almost mind blowing sums of money and distances covered during that time. But it just says so much for. Uh, I suppose, individuals and their own determination to, to try and make a difference, as well as the, the, the effort as a collective. Yeah, definitely. I think just some of, the, some of the stories that have come through, 
when I uh, was asked to do it, and we there's a WhatsApp group that started up, and um, so the name Davy Ziv came up as the Edinburgh captain, and it wasn't a name that I had ever heard before, and then it it, it, it came uh, to my attention that Davy Ziv was diagnosed with motor neuron disease at 30 years old, and uh, he's not you know he's two years from diagnosis now, but my goodness, his energy, he's his get up and go, his desire to build the awareness, to keep himself fit, to keep him, to keep on fighting the fight is phenomenal. He did a, a snowboarding jump in a pair of budgie smugglers with his Edinburgh snood on midway through the challenge when the snow was kicking around. You know, I just, I think we've, we've had Lorraine Kelly join, I think the North and Midlands team has just been absolutely brilliant. And I think, you know, it's, it's shown a lot of good or how much good can be generated, even in a time whereby, you know, questions are being asked and people are, are lacking motivation and lacking get up and go and just want the answers as to when this blasted virus is going to stop impacting all of our lives so heavily. But there are a lot of good people doing good stuff. So it's been a privilege to be a part of that, actually. And and as I say, long, long may that continue. If anybody is listening and wants to go on and be a part of it, get on to www.dodaid.com, buy yourself a snood. I think chuck 20 quid in, get yourself a snood, be a part of one of the districts, add a few quid to the pot. But also there's going to be a lot more coming up. Um, I think Chris, Sir Chris Hoy suggested he will do a monthly event for the foundation to, to continue to raise money in a time whereby we don't have events. We don't have the get-togethers that everybody thrives off, that charities need to be able to stay alive. So it's been a, a privilege to be involved um, in this one. Well, Rory, listen, thank you very much for your time. Great to both hear and see you in good health. And uh, we certainly uh, wish you well and hope you have a a very enjoyable and productive Six Nations Championship yourself behind the mic. And uh, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. No, thank you very much for having me. It's been a great pleasure. And uh, here, Luke, here's hoping that we're talking about good stuff all Six Nations Championship long. The Tackling Scottish Rugby Podcast. Dale, a really interesting conversation there with Rory Lawson. And again, somebody who has been through it as a, an international player, clearly looking forward to uh, an entertaining championship, a very competitive championship during that, this very difficult time for everybody involved. Yeah, I think he, he obviously spoke well and, and spoke of a, a wide range of things. And you can see he's a rugby enthusiast. He knows his stuff about all the nations. He didn't really hedge his bets as to who he was fancying. But certainly he's really looking forward to the championship. And it's, and it's great to see... In these times where you know it is, it's difficult for everybody involved. That he's he's very mindful of of what we've got looking ahead. That the sacrifices that the players have made with being in their bubbles and and making sure that we've got a championship to look forward to. So really interesting to hear from him and in his points of view in terms of the leadership of Stuart Hogg, what he brings to the team, and also what he's been doing out with you know the impacts of COVID on him personally and and, and certainly what he's been doing to help the Doddy Weir Foundation too. So really interesting to hear uh, what Rory has been up to and, and how he himself has tackled COVID-19 and the after effects of COVID-19. Obviously, he's gone on to support Doddy Weir, especially in, in the last month through that uh, Rob Wainwright initiative. And he'll also be very interested in, in supporting the Bill McLaren 
Foundation as well, of course, due to his, his, uh, of his family connection there. And we certainly hope that the, the Foundation can once again get back to being able to organise events and, and have people attending events and, and raising money for another very worthwhile cause. But uh, Dale, from your own point of view, going back to the, the Six Nations Championship, do you see France as the potentially a standout side, the most complete squad of players going into the tournament? Or can anybody top of France at this moment? Yeah, I would say so. I think the, the, the fixtures line up well for France. I personally think that they are the team to beat going towards this next World Cup. I said that during the last Six Nations when the, the real batch of their, their under-20s, which were so successful, started to really come through. I think in a nine in DuPont, they've got one of the best players in the world. It doesn't matter if he's a scrum half or what. He's one of the, the best players in the world. And in terms of that, I mean, what impact he can have on a game, the players round about him, the players that he brings into a game and the way that he controls it, he almost is the kind of puppet master of that rugby game. You know, he manipulates all those other men in that game because he's just got that skill set. And I think with with somebody like that, certainly in, in the heart of your team, they do have a, a really now a, a solid backbone of a team. They've got Aldrit, Olivier, they've got the players like that, which are really, really hardy which I think they've been lacking for the last wee while. You know, they had players like Bastero, but he was a bit soft. He was, you know, he was a big batter and ran, but he was lazy, he was unfit. They've got athletes now. They, they have a, a real hungry group of young players who are used to winning as well, which I think is important. And I think that, that France are certainly, I would say, the team to beat. You look at teams like England, you know, the, the riches that they have and the players that they've got, like, say, uh, certainly Curry is one of the best players in the world as well. Farrell's a born winner. You know, they've got really good players, but I feel that, you know, they, they just never seem to really have their house in order. And I think that France have, have started to, to be a little bit less French in that way. I think they usually don't know what kind of France is going to turn up, but I think that they're, they're starting to really be focused and start to stamp their authority on this tournament. And I think, you know, if you look for the next eight years, you might see France, you know, collecting that trophy more often than not. Is this us now seeing the impact of Sean Edwards, the, the first time that France have really gone for a, an overseas coach of note and perhaps his mindset and his attitudes starting to really rub off on the players? Yeah, I think they've kept it in-house for quite a long time. And, you know, even before I started watching rugby, you look at all the, the highlight reels that come before. Like, if you think of French rugby, you think of flair, you think of attacking rugby. So getting that real grit and that discipline and that structure and, and their defensive shape and you know their their aggression at the breakdown, it's certainly done them uh you know a world of good. And you look on the other side of that, look at what happened, like what's happened to Wales since they've lost them. So th- there's got to be an effect. There can't not be. You can't like see the improvement of France and see the the, the kind of deterioration of Wales and not try and link even the loss of Gatland and all. But obviously you've got Edwards. So looking at Scotland's fixtures. The England game first, and then we've got Wales at home. So you'd you'd be hoping they got off to a bad start as well. But certainly France, I think Edwards, yeah, you've got you've got to say that he has had a, a big impact on the way that they go about their game now, and they certainly look a little bit more steady when you watch them. Yeah, Scotland, of course, defensively have proved to be a, a little bit more durable and robust in, in recent times. I guess now that Gregor Townsend will be looking at their attacking flair and, and their attacking threat and, and try to to make the team provide on, on a, a week-by-week basis or, or be able to produce, I should say, on a week-by-week basis, uh, that more complete performance. But time will tell. Anybody else, we certainly hope for a, an enjoyable Six Nations uh, Championship, one without any 
major incidents and we certainly hope for a, a completed Six Nations Championship so by the, the end of March we've a complete story to, to look back on. Scotland begin their championship campaign then with a trip to Twickenham. England against Scotland is the opening Six Nations 2021 fixture for the Scots and will they be able to end that wretched run that takes them back to 1983 the last time that they picked up a successful result down in London. But thanks very much for listening to this edition of the Tackling Scottish Rugby podcast. I'm Stuart McFarlane. And I'm Dale Clancy. And we'll speak to you soon. Oh, he's tackled just shot of the line. The Tackling Scottish Rugby podcast with Stuart McFarlane and Dale Clancy. That's extraordinary.